Hi everybody, it's Lynn Padetti here and welcome to another another episode of the Dawn Cards podcast. Uh, this is where we shine light on stories that matter and today I have a special guest all the way from New York, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Welcome Daniel, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Lynn. I've been looking forward to this opportunity. How are you doing? I'm doing, doing great. And I just wanted to let people know a little bit about yourself. You are a well-known American rabbi. You are the first rabbi that I actually know. <laughs> um, but you're an author to multiple books and you're a speaker. You have your own podcast show. You have your TV show. But what I love most about you is that you can digest or I guess explain really complex terms or things in life in such an easy way that I've been addicted to your your podcast myself. I'm listening to it even on my way here. So um, it's a privilege to talk to you today. Well, thank you. I that nobody's ever introduced me in a nicer way. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. So you know, the first thing I want to do is this story, This show isn't too much about, you know, what's the strategy. We really like to hear the story behind you, right? Most of your content, content you tell people, you share with people uh, ways that they can improve their life. But I'm curious to know what made you you. So how did you get to this journey? You know, was it a rebellious journey to someone good or was it, you know, tell us all about your, your past? Gosh, well, there's, uh, there's really, <coughs> there's really not very much to tell. Uh, you know, some people have um, fascinating and uh, and um, and charismatic backgrounds that I don't. I mean, uh, I was a, a rotten little kid in South Africa, another former British colony, and um, uh, I was about ten years old, and my parents realized I was turning into a barefoot savage. So they sent me to boarding school in England, and so I went to school in England for a while. And uh, I always knew, you know, my father was a, a famous rabbi, and so I, I certainly knew without a shadow of a doubt that as far as my future is concerned, Len, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that a rabbi was the one thing that I never, ever would ever become. Wow. And you are a rabbi now. So what happened? Well, I I, I did my I did my best. Uh, generally speaking, uh, I've come to the conclusion that when uh, your life path goes too dramatically contrary to what the boss above uh, has designed for you, he tends to whack you. <laughs> and the more you go, of course, the harder he whacks you. So tell me more about that. What were some of those moments where he whacked you? Well, um, in uh, 1969, um, my parents um, were going on vacation and um, they wanted to close up the house and they expected me to go with them. But I was I was so rebellious and, and so... Um, determined not to have anything to do at all with uh, with my parents' idea of vacation, that I said I'd be doing a, sip, a different vacation. And they said, what are you going to do? And I said, confident that they'd prevent me and forbid me. So I thought it didn't matter how outrageous I went because they would they would say, no, you may not do that. And and I was not uh, that far off the reservation that I would have done it anyway. I mean, if they absolutely forbade something, then I wouldn't do it. And I knew that I could come up with something outrageous 
they will forbid it, and then I can be resentful about it for the next three or four weeks that they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do, except I didn't really want to do it anyway. And so I said, well, I'm going to take a motorcycle and ride a motorcycle from Cape Town to Kenya. And I didn't own a motorcycle. I didn't even own motorcycle boots. Um, and... Um, I waited them for them to say, no, you won't, which would have been a relief, of course. But instead, my wise parents uh, said, well, that should be very interesting. I hope you'll be able to send us some postcards en route. Wow. And they allowed you to make your own mistakes or do whatever you need to do. Yes. So I actually went ahead and did that. And uh, I got uh, I actually got a sponsorship from Duckham's Oil that covered most of the expenses yeah. of the trip. And I got a, a commission from the African Road Federation uh, to report back. At that point in 69, there, were, there wasn't complete certainty as to what roads existed and what roads didn't exist. So I was going to be doing that. And um, I actually had the excitement of watching the July 69 moon landing um, of Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Um, on an old black and white television running off a car battery. Yeah. Um, and the TV was jammed into the branches of a tree in a small African village. And um, there was fascinating conversation among the uh, tribesmen as to whether this was really happening or it wasn't really happening. And and so, it, so you know, that was, that was something that, uh, that happened. But... Um, but I, I became an engineer. I was uh, I was so determined to move far away from the rabbinic field. I became an electrical engineer, and I, I did that for a while, until I had lunch one day uh, in the in the uh, lunchroom of the company I was working with, a Dutch company called Philips Electronics, and um, I found that uh, I was sitting with some folks in the in the lunchroom, and they just seemed to be having a great old time. Me myself. I, I'd been a two, two, three months into this, didn't like it at all because nobody told me that engineers, for the most part, um, are working with circuits and components and measuring instruments. And You didn't and know that. <laughs> there were, no, I, there were no people. I had yeah. nothing to do, apart from maybe two meetings a week when there was some arrangement with my, my boss collaborating with uh, some of the other people and making sure that the bits and pieces I was working on fitted into the bits and pieces that other people are working on. It was, it was really um, not very pleasant at all. And I'm talking to these guys and, and I say to them, you know, how you guys, you know, what do you guys do? And they said, well, we're tech reps. I never even knew what that was, but that was, um, it means that they are sales professionals and they sell stuff and and when i asked them what it was they said oh we sell what you make and i said what's that like oh they said you know i said what like what is your day like well we go out and we have one meeting with the customers then we have another meeting with customers then we have lunch with customers then we meet some other people after that um and then i asked them roughly what they were making and it was about double what i was making so I thought, that's it, I'm out of here, and uh, asked to be transferred into the sales department. And that was really where my education began. Um, and I, it was there that I learned that everybody, you, Lynn, and me, and the engineers working with you, and almost everybody 
is in sales. And if you fail to understand that, you will not be a success. And it's like that if you think about doctors, you know, we all pretty much like our doctors. Uh, yet, if I were to ask you what medical school did your doctor go to, you probably don't know. If I asked you where in the class your doctor graduated, you wouldn't know that either. And if I asked you whether you actually know that he went to medical school, you'll say that, well, there's a diploma on the wall of yep. his office. And I'll tell you that... Uh, you leave me with a computer and a printer for an hour and a Photoshop program, I'll give you as many diplomas as you want. This is not a problem. And so uh, the reason you chose your doctor is not because of his medical skill, but because of his salesmanship. Mm. You can call it bedside technique. You can call it um, uh, the way that other he's made other patients feel good. And the and you chose your doctor probably the way most people do through personal recommendation. Somebody you like and trust told you this is a good doctor to go to. Well, that's because the doctor has good sales technique. I know a number of doctors. I've worked with some doctors um, who have very good medical degrees and make very little money. They struggle because they do not understand the uh, science and art of selling. So uh, that was that was a very important step for me. Yeah, and that's what makes you really different because you're a rabbi, but you really understand business and, and career and you because a lot of things I learned from you is about money and finance. And sometimes we yeah. kind of think, you know, religious means that you kind of don't make money. And so, you know, what motivated you to get into that kind of topic where you're <coughs> kind of really educating people to still have that faith in spirituality, yeah. but still understanding that money makes the world go round or how to actually make it work for you? Well, um, I was interested in uh, talking and lecturing and teaching and writing on things that people really cared about. And I, I heard you use a similar formulation at the start of the show, right? Uh, but for me, this is a very big thing. Uh, so much of religious conversation, nobody really cares about. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what people really care about is sex and money. And um, and when I say sex, I don't mean it in a in a vulgar way. Uh, I mean it as the heart of family. Obviously, it's the essence of human relationship. But the fact that you have cousins and I have cousins is because our grandpas and grandmas found ecstasy in one another's arms many many years ago, and that's why we have cousins. The structure of family is built around the magic of male-female relationships. And uh, al alongside of that was, uh, was money. Um, and it, was, it, it fascinated me because what I really wanted to know was, uh, what was God's plan for human economic interaction? So in other words, uh, when I try and make some money, am I violating some ideal uh, scriptural prescription which says, uh, the magical equation that uh, poverty equals purity, mm -mm. you know, and that um, profit equals plunder, mm. and that money is not moral. Mm. Is, is that really what's going on? And, and that's mm. what you get from a lot of religious leadership. Um, it's it, it comes across in many, many different ways. And so I began to be very interested in trying to understand what was God's original plan. And 
what I discovered, certainly through ancient Jewish wisdom, which was my my training and uh, and and my Bible studies were were based on the idea that that this extraordinary book of which more copies have been printed than any other book in the history of printing since the middle of the 15th century. Um, no other book has been printed more, and that this book literally shaped Western civilization. The, the whole of Europe, every country in Europe, built on the principles of the Bible. Yep. So much so that it's it's interesting that today we are now living in the only, or the, in, I would say, the first time in 2,000 years where educated and sophisticated people in Australia or the United States or anywhere else um, are literally ignorant about the Bible. Smart and educated people literally do not know if Leviticus is a book in the Bible or an aftershave lotion for men. They, don't, they literally don't know. And so there's incredible biblical ignorance. And, uh, and so I found that there was really not a whole lot of material at all on this question. And it, it, I discovered again at the very beginning of Genesis that um, uh, God lists everything as good. As a matter of fact, the word good is used eight times. Mm. Everything that the good Lord made was good. And the very first time we find the phrase not good is when God says not good for man to be alone. And what's interesting is that uh, at that point, God basically uh, provides two incentives for people to cooperate with one another instead of to live in isolation. One of them was sex and the other one was money. Yeah, and I heard that and, in the Bible, money is or, or is spoken a lot in the Bible or something. Was that the second to highest topic in the Bible? Um, certainly in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, money is um, is mentioned almost more than anything else yep 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 and you know i was listening on the way here um one of your podcasts around what are the tips on overcoming um tough times and it was so interesting and i guess i wanted to ask you first what were some of your tough times that would or even one key tough time that you went through and then you know i guess lead into what other tips that people can take going through tough times like what we're currently going through now yeah. Look, um, I've had tough times like everybody else. And uh, and some of them I don't really want to, to go. I don't want to relive, quite frankly. Um, uh, many of them, if not all of them, um, were due to mistakes I've made, which is why I'm uncomfortable about some of them, embarrassed a little bit. And, and, and this is a hard thing to acknowledge. And that is that overwhelmingly, for 99% of us, today's problems are, are the result of bad decisions we made yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to acknowledge. Um, but, you know, people who are uh, in financial stress during this COVID period, I think that's probably what you were alluding to, mm. right? Uh, let's face yeah. it, it's because they didn't save enough money to be able to manage for a year without income. That's right. Like, it's a terrible mistake. And and it and I understand it, it it would be awkward and uncomfortable for somebody to to acknowledge that. It's very very difficult. 
But uh, but that really lies at the root of true understanding of personal growth and the ability to move forwards, onwards and upwards, uh, to recognize that you are not a tennis ball floating down the gutter of. Haven't you heard me say that uh, often yet? I, I heard that, but I don't know the last one. I can't answer it. Life. Life. We are not go. tennis balls floating <laughs> down the gutter of life. I clearly remember the word really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You, you're a good podcast listener. And I'm, I'm honored to to have you in the audience. But but that's really that is really a, an important thing because so many people, uh, particularly over the last couple of decades, are conditioned to see themselves as victims, mm. passive, and inert victims of external circumstances. And so obviously, <laughs> what am I supposed to do, right? The circumstances haven't changed, so I'm stuck. But the idea that I can be the vehicle of my own deliverance and the tool of my own salvation is very true and very fundamental, but a lot of people don't know it. Mm. So that's a lot, of, uh, a lot that has to do with the work I did. Look, when I immigrated to the United States, that was a very difficult time. Mm. How many years was ago very, was that? Oh, um, a long time ago. Um, that's uh, uh, nearly 40 kid, years yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a long time. Um, but it was very hard. And I didn't realize, I, and I, I'm embarrassed about this because I think back and say to myself, was I really that dumb in my <laughs> 20s? Like, was I really, did I really not understand that... Um, if you come to a new place, you need friends, you need to connect. You can't just walk into a new country and say, hi, I'm here. Mm. That's not how it works, not how the world really works. It doesn't yeah. happen that way. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I didn't realize that I should have invested more in the preparation. And I, I should have, uh, there was so much I should have done, which would have eased my first two years in the United States so much. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, we all have choices. And, you know, with you, similar to what I, w I was like, I felt like I was so dumb, made so many mistakes when I, in my 20s, even in my teens. And then, but now I've turned 180 degrees. Like, you would never guess that I was that kind of girl. Um, and yeah. you yourself, I can see that your motivation is just like, oh, my God, I was so bad. I made these things. Now I'm going to not just help myself. I helped. I'm going to help others. Why is it that we think like that? And there are certain people that, just end up going, continue to the negative path until it's the end of their life. Any biblical thoughts around that? It's it's a really good question, and um, uh, I, I I would have to answer it off the cuff because nobody's asked me that question before. So I don't have, uh, and a lot of questions people have asked me. So <laughs> normally when I do an interview, I almost never get questions I've never been asked before. So I, I can sound articulate and fluent and, uh, <laughs> and give an answer, but I don't want to, I don't want to uh, uh, talk nonsense. So uh, I don't, I don't really know why that is. I, I'm reluctant to say that it's because of, of anything intrinsically in me. But I, for me personally, I think that uh, I had extraordinary teachers and mentors. And um, although um, there was much of what they taught me that I ignored at the time, it never completely left me. Mm. 
And so I think at, at critical times, uh, I was very fortunate because I was almost able to conjure them up and, um, and they, they would, and they would talk to me. Mm. I don't know if you're the same as me, but, um, I've always believed that I was better even though my circumstance wasn't better. And even though I went down the wrong path, I guess my vision of myself pulled me back on the right path. Do you think that a lot of us has got to do with our own beliefs of ourselves then? Well, I don't know because I, um, I'm different from a lot of humble people. I'm humble for some very good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I have much to be humble about. So uh, I, I've been the recipient of uh, of so much good and 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 so much blessing. And uh, and and I say this all the time that nothing. And this is true for not just for me. It's true for other people and probably for you and for most people. And that is that um, uh, the very best moments of your life. The times of your best achievements and your accomplishments, the times of the maximum joy, were never you alone. It was always because of at least one other person involved at the time, and I and I, I think that that was really important. And uh, and fortunately, I, I I learned that before it was too late for me, and I realized that uh, relationships with good people uh, w was central. Uh, to successful living, yeah, and um, and and that's that that's crucial. People who will talk honestly to you, and for you to develop um, the kind of uh, openness and and humility that will not only allow but will encourage wise people to talk honestly to you instead of flattering you. Mm. Love it. So what motivates you to do so much? Like I know you've written so many books already and I think you're about to already launch uh, Sex and Money. Is that the topic of the title of the book? And your um, TV yes. show? Yeah. At the, moment, at the moment it is. I've done an awful lot on sex and marriage and family and I've done an awful lot on money. This is the first time I'm actually uh, connecting the two together and it's, uh, it's, it's an incredibly real topic because even now, Lynn, you know, after a half a century of sexual egalitarianism, uh, the overwhelming majority of marriages still come about because a man goes down on one knee and holds out a diamond ring to a girl and says, will you make me the happiest man in the universe? Mm. But you would have thought that by now, at least half the marriages, I mean, for heaven's sake, women are fighter pilots. Uh, women are um, stock exchange traders. Women... Uh, everything. So don't you think that by now half the marriages should come about because a woman goes down on one knee and holds out a Rolex watch to a guy and says, please take this watch and make me the happiest girl in the world. But it just doesn't happen at all that way. Or you would have thought that um, uh, up-to-date magazines like Cosmopolitan and Glamour and uh, what, what are some of the Australian young women's magazines? Uh, Dolly, I don't know. I have a girlfriend. Or maybe that's a really, really teenage kind of magazine. Yeah. It doesn't matter because they all say the same thing. Honestly, they really do. And when I say they all do, I've researched this. They all tell girls that if a guy doesn't pay for the first date, kick him to the curb. Mm. What sense does that make? And there's these, So obviously, sex and money go together in very profound ways that, uh, that need to be spoken about. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm just really enjoying doing that talking, yeah. that teaching. 
So, yeah, I was just saying with all those books and your TV show and your podcast, your regular podcast, it's like what keeps you so motivated to keep doing this or helping? Is it this just it's you know painful to see marriages broken and people not living to their full potential? Like what's your reason? You know, I, 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 I think I feel like my BMW mechanic who uh, whenever he hears a good, high-quality German car go by making a bad noise, he winces in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it bothers him and hurts him. So I think, uh, just as you said, um, that when I, when I have the tools to improve people's lives in, in these two areas, because when you think about it, if a person has no money troubles and a great marriage and a great family, there's not a lot else to grumble about in life, is yeah. there? Particularly when you realize that um, health statistics track very closely with uh, family happiness and financial stress-free life. Yeah. And that's why you have always uh, pitch around the, it's not just finance, it's the five Fs in life, right? Unless we balance right. it all and have it all, then we're not going to be fulfilled. Is that? That's exactly yeah. right. Yep. I've actually, yeah. this is the first time I've got a note from one of our crew member asking, people often say that only Jewish people know how to create wealth and money. Is that, yes. is that, is that a true saying? Well, it's, it's not, it's not a true saying, but um, to say only is, is almost always not true because there are very few flat absolutes around this amazingly complex world of ours. But are Jews disproportionately good with money? Of course, unless you're a blind immigrant from outer Mongolia, you already know that. Mm. Everybody knows that. It's so obvious. And it's been true uh, in all times of history, and it's been true in, in oppressive and tyrannical regimes, as well as in wonderful countries like Australia and the United States. But uh, but yeah, in the United States, Forbes magazine publishes a, an annual list of the 400 richest Americans. Now, the Jewish population in America is about one and a half percent of the mm-hmm. population. So that means that on a list of the 400 richest Americans, there should be six Jews. But there's never fewer than 50 or 60, and there's usually closer to 100. Wow. That's a massive overrepresentation. And so, yes, I, I talk a lot about, and I teach a lot about what you think that that is due to. Um, you know, is it, uh, um, is it a racial explanation? Something, you know, really stupid that uh, Jews have a money gene that gets passed <laughs> down in Jewish sperm, you know? Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, is it because Jews cheat and steal? But... Again, with some serious research to which I devoted about 10 years, um, it's not hard to see that Jews have about the same percentage of bad apples as, as any other group does. And furthermore, you can't succeed financially over a period of time uh, as a, a ripoff artist because there's just not enough people to interact with. Your reputation goes ahead of you. So. Uh, in the final analysis, I realized that it boiled down to 10 fundamental principles and that those principles broke down to uh, 40 um, subsidiary strategies. And so that's why my first book was called The Ten Commandments, you know, Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money. And my second uh, 
book was called Business Secrets from the Bible, um, 40 Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. And what it was was taking the principles that have worked well for the people of Israel and um, making them accessible to, to, to anybody and everybody who seriously wants to transform their financial destiny. Yeah, and that's why I just love it so much and uh, because I don't normally get teachings from the Jewish community and your channel has allowed me to just learn a lot of the principles. So one other thing that um, I know that why Jewish uh, succeed is that their mindset around serving you know, serving others, it's, it's inbuilt in, in the principles, so that's why people do what they do. Because It's question- really important. There are people in the United States, there are people in Europe, there are people in Australia. I don't know who they are, but I know they exist, and that is people who are essentially unemployable. Now, that's not because they haven't been given advanced training, because if I'm going to employ somebody... I'm actually happy to have somebody who has not been trained because I'd like to do the training myself. But when somebody is unemployable, it's usually because in their heads, they play the music over and over again of you're not the boss of me. Mm. Nobody tells me what to do. You know, you better respect me. Don't you give me instructions. Now that person is totally unemployable. And in Judaism, the central theme that runs through the five books of Moses is that um, God is our king, and you have to obey. And what's more, there are all kinds of commandments. There are commandments that tell me how to get up in the morning, that tell me um, uh, how to eat, tell me what to eat, even tell me how to make love to my wife. I mean, all the details are there. And as a Jew, I get over this, you're not the boss of me when I'm about 13 years old. That's when I mature. And that makes me very employable. It means from day one, I'm ready to take orders. And I don't see it as menial. I don't see it as as disrespectful because I see my boss as another child of God and serving him is just another way of serving God. So I'm an extremely enthusiastic employee and I'm going to learn as much as I can. And after I've learned a certain amount, don't be surprised if I give you notice and I resign and I start my own business because I've learned a lot. Amazing. So, you know, I don't want to take you too much of your time. I know it's really late in New York, so I've got a few questions left for you. Um, what's next for you? Um, I know people can connect with you on uh, on your podcast show, but what is next? What's the future for you? Um, more boating in British Columbia and maybe maybe visiting Australia. That's, uh, that is very high on my list. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of uh, church groups in Australia that have been in touch with me about uh, coming to speak. So maybe uh, once this COVID stuff settles down, um, that'll that'll be up there. Yeah. And also, um, uh, my website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Yeah. Or the way some people find it is just by going, you need a rabbi.com. And uh, one of the things we're doing also is, is um, through the lens of ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, we're actually going to do a verse-by-verse through the Bible, 
We're going to walk people through the Bible and depict it not in obscure theological terms, but in very practical terms, again, focusing on those areas that you and I and everybody else really cares about. Yeah, that is awesome. Look, I can't even stop talking to you because I've had another question for you from, from our crew members. What's your oh, advice? Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I, I appreciate them listening and contributing. Thank yeah. you, guys. What's your advice for building and maintaining genuine business relationships in an ever-growing, tech-saturated world? In an ever-growing? In an ever-growing, tech-saturated world. So basically there's just, oh. yeah, the online world. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a great question, of course, because uh, I would exchange 5,000 Facebook friends for five customers. Mm -hmm. All right, Facebook friends, it's, they were very clever to adopt the term friends, but uh, it's essentially meaningless. Like in real life, I don't come into your house when you're not home and start looking through your photo albums. <laughs> but... In Facebook, that oh yeah, I'm going to come into your um, look at all your pictures. <laughs> this is a weird world, uh, so it's very easy to confuse uh, that world with with reality. Um, I can't give you the one most important thing because again, life is much too complicated. There's no one most important thing for physical health. You know, there's no one most important thing for maintaining a great marriage. Uh, there's no one most important thing for building a business. But, um, but here is something that, that might be helpful. Um, and and, I, and I'm, I'm addressing uh, particularly the person who asked that question and, uh, and additionally, obviously, everybody else. And, and here it is. Everybody has heard of the Ten Commandments. Now, not everybody can recite them. Not everybody knows which is which, but that doesn't matter. Here's what does matter, and that is that throughout the Bible, they are called the Ten Commandments only three times. They are referred many, many, many times as the two tablets. And the reason for that is because, if I can put it this way, the two-ness is more important than the tenness, which is to say that these commandments are actually not ten commandments, and they're not ten, and they're not commandments at all. But what they really are are statements of relationship. And I'm I'm homing in right now on this very specific question that uh, one of your engineers asked. The very first, so-called the first commandment, in Hebrew they're not called commandments, they're called statements, but the very first statement is, I am the Lord your God. Interestingly enough, there's five on each tablet, and so the first commandment on one tablet parallels the sixth commandment on the second tablet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not murder. So here we have principle number one for maintaining relationships. You have to acknowledge the existence of the other person. So the first tablet speaks about my relationship with the boss, mm -hmm. but the second tablet speaks about my relationship with you and with all the other people. So I have to, if I don't recognize that he is the, the Lord my God, there's nothing else to talk about. Mm. If I don't 
re-acknowledge your right to exist. If I'm going to retain the right to kill you every time, if you, if you irritate me, then we don't have a relationship. There's absolutely nothing we can do to build that relationship. So uh, principle number, there's five principles here, you see, and we're not going to go through them all. I'll leave them some, some of them for you to just work your way through yourself once you see the mm -hmm. principles working. So number one is I exist and you can't kill me at will. I, that, I'm, my existence is not subject to your permission, which, by the way, also has a lot to do with the Magna Carta and the emergence of um, of civic governance in England and then later on in English colonies in the United States. But number two is you mustn't have any other gods in addition to me. Do you know what number seven is? No. No adultery. Mm -hmm. In other words, don't commoditize relationships. My relationship with you is unique from my relationship with anybody else. And one of the ways that we we get turned off by certain salespeople is when we notice that they have a standard canned patter that they use on each customer, on each prospect. And the prospect picks up on that. You're adulterating our relationship. Mm. So adultery doesn't only apply to the fact of um, marriage integrity. It applies to the integrity of every relationship. Um, I remember meeting um, President Clinton shortly before he became president, and I was absolutely enamored with how interested he was in me and the questions he asked me. I, I thought, this guy's amazing. He's going to make an incredible president because he really is interested in people. And then I watched as he went to the next person in the in this uh, party, and he started saying exactly the same things to that person that he'd said to me. <laughs> I was so gripped by this that I followed him around for much of the evening. I just wanted to watch him use his technique on person after person. And everybody felt the way I did because no one else knew that he was doing it on everybody. Mm. That's called adulterating a relationship. Mm. Well, I can't wait to go through the whole Ten Commandments after this show. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's, that's how it works. So um, those five principles, which I actually explain, um, in an audio program on my website. People can uh, go and read about it there. But um, I actually go through all 10 there, or if you like, all five on each tablet. But that's really the answer to the question. Yep. Uh, re relationships have to be unique and, um, and, and authentic. And uh, you have to respect not only the, the person, but also his infrastructure. You're not allowed to steal his stuff. Mm. That's the next commandment, because that violates the integrity of the relationship. And so on. That's yeah. in, in, in short, that's the answer to a very good question. Yeah. Any more coming yeah, there on just... pieces of paper clipped to you? <laughs> no, that's it for now. I've got one last question before I let you go. Is what do you want the world to remember Rabbi Daniel Lappin for? I hadn't thought about that yet. Gosh, I, should, I needed to be much more prepared for these interesting and unusual questions you're asking me. <laughs> Just one, well, you know, yeah, what do you want, what do you want me to remember you for? Uh, being um, uh, the uh, only bald-headed rabbi <laughs> who knows the waters off the west coast of Canada better than anybody else. 
and he's a humorous guy. He's modest. He's da- yeah. See, I love that about you. You just make us, you know, do all the work of yeah, figuring out you. But um, thank you so much, Rabbi. I like I said, I'm addicted to your show because there's so much to learn from you, and you make it so entertaining, engaging, and and so deep that I always feel entertained and smarter at every time I listen. So thank you, you for your time. If you were trying to flatter me, you couldn't have said anything better. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining our show. And that's it, guys, for another episode of the Dawncast podcast. If you're, if you're new to this channel, don't forget to subscribe um, and press the bell button to be notified when we're launching our video next. Thank you, guys. You better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can.